the power of Christ. <laughs> it's like it's I'm safe. I can be safe as long as God is with me. And so it that helped me get through a lot of horror movies because I was like, I have Jesus. What yeah, are I'm ghosts? When you have Jesus, he's the good ghost. Next door. That's spooky stuff. For the first time in like a minute. Did you miss me? Did yeah, it's been. People? <laughs> yeah, Internet. whisper into your phone. Yeah. And the ghosts will give us the message. Aw, we miss you too. <laughs> <laughs> you. Uh, yeah. Thank you for um, ending me right then. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it works here. Um, yeah, welcome to Spooky Month here on the Ghouls. It is officially October, which means we got a lot going on. We got a lot, <laughs> a lot happening. Um, it's a fever but... dream filled with scary stuff and fun. So, are you excited? <laughs> Yeah, every spooky go. girl's dream. Yeah, and uh, for the month of October and November, the ghouls are haunted. Mm-hmm. Ooh, spooky. My student loan debt. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty valid. Uh, no, we are haunted by a variety of things, uh, mm-hmm. from houses to people to towns to prisons to the internet. Hey, if it can be haunted, it is haunted. And we're gonna <laughs> yeah. go look at it, and we're gonna poke it, and be like, "What's what's up with that? Why are you why are you like that, friend? Why are you haunt- what yeah. haunts you? Tell us." Just like stop, like stop. <laughs> like if you feel like haunting, like maybe yeah. don't. Yeah, just like don't stop haunt. Feeling that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so today we're actually going to be talking about haunted homes, haunted houses. Um, we have covered haunted houses before. Yeah. on our lovely podcast uh we've co- covered haunted things on our podcast because yeah. this is a horror podcast for 200 it's plus hard to not yeah like <laughs> it's inevitable um, we're retreading um but yeah. and we've also covered uh we're going to be talking about rose red and we've also covered rose red before but that was a throwaway episode that i'm pretty sure like only my mom listened to mm-hmm. and so um <laughs> it doesn't count yeah, we could do whatever we want. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't even remember it, so I'm gonna say it wasn't real. <laughs> well, our haunted house episode was where we ventured oh, into wait. our basement. I do remember that episode. The and Cat was possessed. Cacophonous laughing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When I was learning yeah. how to edit audio and. Yeah. And you killed it. It was fantastic. Thank you. It It goes on a little too long. It goes on a little too long than it should. Um, It was cool. And I subjected like anyone who like looked at me too long. I was like, you need to listen to this because Mm -hmm. I'm an audio genius. They're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, sure, Gabe. Listen Um, to this art. So 
<laughs> yeah, like, what do you mean? Your life is not complete. Your life is not haunted enough until you hear this. And now I do that for, like, a living. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a success story right yeah, there. Exactly. I started in our basement in a very awful apartment. And now I'm here doing sound design for a horror audio drama show, Black Women Are Scary. So check that out and see the growth. Listen to episode 14. <laughs> it's crazy that I remember the, na- the number of that episode. Episode 14, mm-hmm. Haunted Houses, Haunted which you. is about the... It's haunting me. Yeah. It is a haunting of Connecticut episode, which is actually, I think it, we had a very good discussion about haunting in Connecticut. Um, it. And it was our, it was the start of our dislike for Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and just like a, a start to us being pretty serious too. Cause mm-hmm. we also covered um, exorcisms during that time. And I remember us being like, we have to be intentional because these are real people. And this is not just for funsies. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it was like episode 14, we were trying to be pretty good and respectable. Babies us, just being like still thoughtful for the most part. We tried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the thought was still there and has continued to grow <laughs> since that moment. <laughs> just like your audio design skills. Yes. And um, like I said, we, we've covered Rose Red, which you, if you are unfamiliar, is a TV miniseries that is written by Stephen King. It was uh, original screenplay written by Stephen King, not a book turned movie. He mm. wrote it for the screen and then it was for the screen. And uh, you would have listened to us talk about it. I think it was 20. <laughs> so 20 or 50 one of the no 20 and we talked about cat's favorite things and then we talked about my favorite things i believe mm-hmm. and it was first fears and yeah. it was for you the ring yeah and for me <laughs> i have the diary rose red no diary entry. And so if, if you miss that, absolutely fine. You probably shouldn't listen to it. But first fears, um, Rose Red, when I first watched it, I got it at Blockbuster because mm-hmm. <laughs> we're old. And uh, <laughs> it was two VHS tapes. And I was afraid of everything at that point in my life. I was not a horror buff. It was not yeah. the thing I liked. My family loved horror and they loved harassing me about horror Um, but I was terrified of everything and we watched uh Peter Pan 2 that was my movie and then everyone fell asleep and I was like well I got to put on their movie now so I put on Rose Red and (laughs) it terrified me (laughs) I was like they're gonna wake up they're gonna be like why isn't my movie on um and so (laughs) I put on Rose Red and it was absolutely terrifying to me like the intro to Are You Afraid of the Dark was scary for me like yeah. the creaking of the swing set. I was like, no, I can't watch that. I would forget yeah. the, the opening to Tales from the Crypt. I couldn't like openings were enough for me. And yeah, the like, level, <laughs> it was like, ow. They're uh, like the four level... hour movie. Why not? Yeah. I that. <laughs> yes. And so the effects are equal to Tales from the Crypt uh, as far as like the the graphics and everything um but it, it was terrifying i was super scared uh but 
I needed, I was, I don't know, traumatizing myself. So when it, the first tape ended, I was like, well, I gotta know, like, what happened. <laughs> you gotta keep going. <laughs> so I put in the second tape. <laughs> like, to the same, like, that's what changed my whole life. Like, yeah. I would not be here. We would not have goals if I did not put in that second tape. Or, like, or the first one, but honestly, it was the second one. And it scared me so much, but it had this ending that I was like, Oh, there, like there was this resolution that made sense uh -huh. to me <laughs> as a young person. And I was like, okay, wow, things aren't that scary and you can survive and it's okay. And I think I like this. <laughs> I think I like being alone in the dark and watching scary things and feeling like spooked like that. So that's my origin story for Rose Red and why I will tell anyone who will listen to go watch it. It's impossible to find. <laughs> I found it on archive.org, but you can buy the two VHS tapes for three dollars. <laughs> and I almost did that. I do not have a VHS player, but I was like, yeah. I need that. <laughs> I need you know? those. Yeah. For the you know, the display. Yeah. Yeah. Alternate um, universe Gabe didn't put in the tape. Yeah. And, and who the world is that? It's so different there. Yeah. Maybe there's we no aren't friends. friends. <gasps> We're not friends. I know. <laughs> it's a, That's the worst. I dimension. go to this universe. That's the worst universe. I, I go to that universe and I say, put in the tape. <laughs> put in the tape. Um, she doesn't know what she's missing out on. Um, <laughs> what a horror story. I'm like, what? <laughs> Maybe like I'm in marketing. <laughs> so, or like some, or like... I'm Nega Gabe and I like work for cable. <laughs> I work for this big cable conglomerate oh like Comcast. Yeah, yes. And I'm like a high end, like just it's making emails, money. Emails, emails. Suppressing the voice of the people. Love it. Yeah. I'm living, living. Oh, I've never I discussed an emotion in my life. <laughs> and I never will. <laughs> exactly. um, yeah, so we are going to be talking about Rose Red today. And um, we are going to be talking about the house that inspired Rose Red, which is the Winchester House. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It has impacted many a media, including um, The Haunting of Hill House, uh, The Haunting of Hill House show, mm -hmm. film, uh, The Haunting, and the book, and then also. Winchester is a, a show a, a film that we did not watch. That's literally really about bad. it. Rose Red, like a remake bad. of Haunting of the Hill House. Um, um, <laughs> people are like, that's crazy. This <laughs> so now, weird. There has to be a reason okay. for it. Let's put some reasons in there. Uh, that's what the films are. <laughs> and it can't just be like that. People need therapy. Like that's not the. That's yeah, never the no. answer. It's not like that person should have had someone to talk to and had a yeah. lot to work through and like just had too much money. <laughs> but no, well, that's not yeah. what it is. Yeah. That's not what it is. It's that it's haunted and houses are evil. <laughs> yeah, she couldn't have done that for literally no reason. There has to be a reason. Everything has a reason. And the reason is it's haunted, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. trauma. <laughs> Not familial trauma. Absolutely not. <laughs> not murder. Not any of it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. It? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So um why don't I get into my section and uh yeah. 
Okay, cool. So, um, as I said, Rose Red, it is from 2002. Bills, I can't believe there was a blockbuster in 2002. When did they stop? <laughs> it always feels like pre-2000, you know, but I guess question. not. In 2002, there was a blockbuster and, you know, Child Gabe walked into one, left, and her world was changed. And it was, like I said, a miniseries, which was pretty popular for Stephen King adaptations at the time, if you think about it, right? Um, there's, there's The Stand. There's a lot that were just like, these books are huge, so they would have to be miniseries in order to encapsulate it. But I think he just has a problem with writing things small <laughs> he has short stories and they've been also made into full-length um films but he even said it like it was really hard for him to scale it down and make it shootable <laughs> he was like because he wants to add so much stuff in there and he's like oh right <laughs> yeah someone's gonna have to watch this um but it was written by him and it is about a three-part ghost story written for tv that unfolds in a sinister seattle mansion known as rose red where weird paranormal activities occur. Hoping to conjure up the abandoned house's spirits, a psychology professor and her team of gifted psychics move in for a weekend. Um, yeah, to, to kind of open this section with a supposedly Dr Shirley Jackson quote, that's what they say in Rose Red, that it was Shirley Jackson, but I'm like, did you make that up? <laughs> I need to find it. But it Apparently, she said, some houses are born bad, um, which may be a line in The Haunting of Hill House. I haven't read it. Mm. <laughs> I own it, and I am looking forward to reading it because I hear it's really great. Um, some history on the making of Rose Red, because I was like, while I was researching it, because no one, first of all, no one's talking about Rose Red, and that's a problem. Um, <laughs> secondly, because <laughs> you can't watch it, no one can find it. Um, I found like, the only thing people were talking about was the making of mostly, and then a little bit about Winchester House. And so Stephen King and Steven Spielberg, hmm. you guys remember them, uh, still around doing stuff, were actually set to work together on a remake of The Haunting, which is based on The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. They're going to team up together, Dreams, Dream Team Stevens, and um, they had some creative differences as, as two very strong-minded creative men are to do with lots of power. Uh, so they didn't make their play in film and instead they split ways. And so Spielberg made his own remake of The Haunting while King made Rose Red. Mm. And uh, the film is still very clearly an homage to Jackson um, because like there's a lot of similarities which I'll definitely go through, but um, the Haunting of Hill House is about a team of investigators and psychics who go to a famous haunted house to either prove or discredit its status. Mm -hmm. So um, both feature a special and secluded woman as our protagonist. Uh, there is a murderous house influenced by the real life Winchester house. There's an heir to the haunted property that attends as well and subtle queer undertones mm -hmm. for the time uh, in both. <laughs> Whereas it's like, um, uh, <laughs> I I could see how people are like, you know, they just like, you go to like a art history class and they're like, these are just two best gal friends in the painting and they're like making out. And you're like, um, <laughs> are you sure they're not lesbians? Like, no, 
just women were different at that time. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure that (laughs) there were very specific decisions made. Like, (laughs) like, this is queer. Okay. Um, and we could fight about it, but yeah, there's, uh, in both pieces, there are some queer undertones because it's just inherent with like, um, if you're going to kind of explore some of the things that Shirley Jackson was exploring, kind of comes up. You're looking for companionship, and sometimes that's a kind of companion you find. Um, another fun fact is that Stephen King had actually begun writing the screenplay but was halted in the middle of it due to a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and we explained in our episode about Stephen King that he had been hit by a van and that he had nearly died and that this incident changed him. Like it uh, resulted in him getting clean and like focusing on his life and writing and family. And um, it was just totally earth shattering for him. And he was mm-hmm. kind of like on this like fast <laughs> lane to like who knows where he would have been if this didn't happen kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and Rose Red was the first thing he worked on after that incident, only um, months after recovering or like during recovery. And he actually had intended for this work to be one of his last projects. But it, I don't know if King will ever be able to stop <laughs> writing or doing or be like, you know, like, I don't think he'll ever chill. Yeah, <laughs> he just can't. Um, so I just thought that was pretty interesting that this was like one of the things he worked on. Um, and it's so different from anything he's ever done after that, you know? Yeah. Um, it does have some homages to his other work. There are characters who have similar names or like last names. There's references. And then there's, you know, even the characters can be uh, compared to some other ones. So I'll talk about that as well. But Here's some history about the House of Rose Red. So the whole thing is that there's a team of psychics, <laughs> a team, they're a ragtag group of psychics gathered together by this really passionate uh, psychology professor who wants to, you know, open up this house. And so Rose Red was built in 1906 by a wealthy oilman named John Rimbauer for his wife, Ellen. And uh, Rimbauer used much of his wealth to build a mansion on 40 acres of woodland in the heart of Seattle on the site of an indigenous burial ground, because that's how classic king works are. Um, The house was rumored to be cursed. Yeah, there's a lot. There's going to be a lot. (laughs) Um, the house was rumored to be cursed the moment that it began being built. Construction workers died, business partners committed suicide, tour attendees went missing, like it is always just murdering or abducting. And Professor Reardon, who is the psychology professor who starts this, explains that the house treats men and women differently. While women end up missing in Rose Red, men end up dead. And given that Rose Red is Ellen's to its core, this misandrous approach to its guests makes sense. Um, Ellen has good reason to not like men. <laughs> she was married to a terrible one. So yeah. actually, like, while traveling through Africa, a truly Lovecraftian tale of white people in Africa touching things they shouldn't, Ellen contracts an STD from her husband, which nearly kills her. Uh, he keeps up the behavior, even when they return home, despite the impact it had on his wife. She is like on the deathbed. (laughs) Um, 
And he's just like, whatever. Uh, Ellen gives birth to two children, a son, Adam, for he is the first, and later a daughter born in April and named such. April is born with a withered arm, and that is most likely a result of Ellen's previous illness and by extension, uh, due to his uh, her father's infidelities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Ellen brings back with them Sukina, which is a w- who is a woman from Africa that had helped nurse Ellen back to health, was the only person who cared for her. And Ellen and Sukina's relationship is never that of ser- servant, estate owner, any like she's not the help <laughs> in that way. Um, and at first, there's. Uh, Ellen refers to her as a friend and later Ellen refers to her as a sister um, though mm-hmm. I think the relationship seems more intimate than that and in, in, in what they explain just kind of like in the way that they treat each other and their reactions the way they're colluding just always felt a l- bit more intimate and especially if Ellen is so neglected and alone might like just makes sense that you would find connection in that way um to the point where like there's uh spoilers they uh work together to murder ellen's husband john and nice. uh when Zucchina is brought in for questioning regarding april's disappearance the daughter ellen is absolutely distraught and it's not like like yeah you would be very upset with your friend but she's like losing it <laughs> like yeah. you know um and the relationship and its queer undertones reminds me a lot of eleanor or nell from the haunting of hill house and theodora or theo who is um one of the occupants during that time the mm-hmm. two women became friends but in reading it and watching it on the screen nell's fascination and obsession with theo can be understood uh, as a sexual attraction and potentially love um again coming from this loneliness and need for companionship that seems to evolve past like just friendship (laughs) there's like admiration and it just goes to a different step in my opinion of course it's not like solidified all right (laughs) again my opinion so uh there's this psychic exploration that happens in uh the film so dr reardon uh is um a part of the psycho uh, psychology department and is intent on awakening the slumbering murderous estate rose red and to do that she's assembled a colorful yeah she keeps saying she wants to awaken it it's a like she says it's a dead cell because that's what she does. She's obsessed with Rose Red. Um, it's like it's a murder house. Why you want people to be murdered? I don't know. Because uh, then she's right. <laughs> she's right because sure. then psychic stuff works. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> to awaken this dead cell, uh, she has assembled a colorful group of psychics. They all vary in their abilities since we don't quite know what the house will find yummy enough to awaken. Um, the team features uh what is called a touch no um played by emily deschanel where she has the ability to see things when she touches someone and she's also a psychic television show host (laughs) there's a precog uh, an older man who can see into the future the insufferable emery is a postcog with the ability to see the past which is actually pretty helpful when we don't know who's died yet Yeah. It's like that person's dead. I saw them and they're dead now. Um, there's the automatic writer, and uh, one of the guys like refers to her as a Ouija board essentially, where spirits and people can use her to voice their thoughts. And um, there's also a telepath with re- remote viewing capabilities. So, whole like span, like, I didn't know there was that many different. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, <a> <laughs> 
Who knew? Um, and then finally, there is a Carrie-esque Annie, who is a young girl with autism, who is telekinetic, but also a sprinkle of other things. She is just special. Um, Annie's character is pretty problematic, as she is introduced as this special girl who, after being bit by a dog, exacts revenge upon the owners of said dog by summoning stones from the sky to draws them uh, as a coloring picture and she's just this powerful and also not understanding her power and so then she is also feared and she's essentially like villainized <laughs> while also yeah. being like a hero it's really it's complicated and I think the biggest thing is that um as someone with autism Annie isn't able to mask or control her powers in the way that others have learned to do um, she doesn't tamper down her abilities. And so perhaps she's more raw or unfiltered, making her a larger battery for the psychic energy. Um, but I wonder if we could have accomplished the same understanding if she was simply young and sheltered, like Carrie had been like, yeah. maybe she just had an overbearing parent. <laughs> like she does. Right. Um, mm -hmm. without having to add the autism aspect. Uh, she's also not yeah. played by an autistic Ooh. I was trying to do this. It's okay. been a minute. I was just gonna say, like, exactly. Like, it's it's basically that uh, she is given this role, and it's it implies that like to mask is the better option. Like mm -hmm. to have that as an ability is the better option because it makes you more palatable or easier for society. So, like, it's a rude take <laughs> for yeah. them to make. Yeah, ultimately. it's also like. <laughs> It's clear that, like, Dr. Reardon is not in any way a good person. <laughs> like, she's, yeah. like, we kind of know she's not a good person the whole time. But still, her only value for Annie is really that she is special. And it's kind of like, you're not, like, as someone who has autism, like, you have to be special for us to care. Yeah, you know, it's like she has to have this. Yeah, um, which is just, that's a problem that occurs a lot with um, autistic characters. It's a trope that comes up a lot. Like you have like Rain Man, right? Or things like that, where it's just like, you have to be really good and really special at it. You can't just like need some extra help understanding social interaction. Like <laughs> we can't have just like regular folks, right? They have to have this like some yeah, like kind super of magical thing. Yeah, ability that like mm -hmm. makes them worth paying attention to and, and not like demonizing. Yeah. yeah, it like validates their existence, which mm -hmm. is... Well, cause Problem. in America, everyone needs to have a purpose. Otherwise, why exist? Just what are you doing here? Murder. Yeah. It's, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm following. <laughs> I'll yeah. let you keep going though. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I absolutely agree. And in like when I was younger, of course, flew right over my head. Um, like I said, it's, uh, she's played by, I'm blanking on the actress's name, but it's Marnie from Halloween Town, which I was mm -hmm. like, that's who I saw. I was like, it's Marnie from Halloween Town. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, so interesting because she's playing differently. But I mean, people were doing that all the time. Um, like Leonardo DiCaprio also played someone who was differently abled um, at that time period. It just happens. Um, is before people were like, stop doing that, <laughs> like yeah. as vocally, you know? Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I do think that like, if she were just young and still sheltered, like I think we could have gotten the same effect. Like she still would have been, you know, special in that way, like Carrie is. 
Like mm-hmm. <laughs> Carrie does the same exact thing. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, we get this differently abled trope, labeling her as special and therefore important. And even her haunting of Hill House counterpart, Eleanor, is also a special woman who activates the house, but she is not autistic. And she's just a, like recluse who's also been sheltered. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like Shirley Jackson was able to establish that this is someone, like she might even honestly be autistic without them understanding that she was autistic because she didn't understand social interactions but it was never like she is this and that's why she's that yeah <laughs> you know? it wasn't it was just in like, like a demonizing way or infantilization way like no. there's a very much a I have to take care of her in this she is not capable of doing so herself and like it's one thing to say someone needs help versus to infantilize them and I think that's the yeah. issue there yeah yeah Exactly. And I think it, and it was always from the perspective of like, she just doesn't know better because she was sheltered. Mm-hmm. And this is her first time getting the opportunity to do something about it. Um, yeah. And that's why it's like, everyone has to be a bit more patient. Um, but with Annie, it wasn't like that. It was mm-hmm. like, we all have to save her from, she's just living her life. <laughs> she's literally yeah. just like, I like music. I want to play music. Like, let me yeah. live my life. <laughs> yeah, we're um, make me go this with house. her dolls, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I want to go through the different deaths and disappearances in Rose Red. Thank you, Wikipedia, for listing them all out because it's like a PowerPoint presentation. And I was like, wait, who, what, how, what year? I'm very bad at time periods. But from 1906 to 1909, construction workers die on the site. There's a teamster, Harry Corbin, who shoots a foreman and does not remember doing that. Um, One worker is decapitated by falling glass. One choked on a piece of apple. One falls off scaffolding and breaks his neck. So Mm. in the making of, (laughs) it's messed up. March 13th, 1909, uh, Rose Red claims its first victim to feed of their life force. Connie Fomanter vanishes while admiring a globe in the West Wing library she has never seen again, despite numerous searches. So as a woman, she disappears versus all the deaths, right? Uh, September 23rd, 1909, Laura, the housemaid vanishes. May 21st, Delora vanishes. I don't even know who Delora is. It just says Delora. Um, uh, 1911 or 1912, not sure. Another housemaid, Gail, vanishes. Just absorbing ladies. John, uh, the John um, Rimauer, terrible man, fires his business partner, Douglas Posey, in November 1914. Um they kind of brush it off saying like he just wanted all the money for himself and so he like dismissed him but then the film insinuates that he was gay it doesn't really it's pretty much just says that he is gay which could have also contributed to his firing otherwise i don't understand why they went on this whole tirade about him being gay because they just wanted to like make jokes about it (laughs) like one guy goes oh he likes chaps in chaps yeah. because he was a cowboy and then they were like was he a wrangler or a brander and like oh, <laughs> it's God. like all these yeah it's just all this like go like back and forth and i was like but what is the relevance like are you unless you're telling me that john fired him because he was gay which is to, like i get that because that, that would be something yeah. the jerk john would do um otherwise you're just poking fun for why um yeah. again a little Stephen King for you. Um, in 1915, 
as revenge, Douglas Posey hangs himself in a suicide in front of the Rimbauer children in the downstairs parlor. And uh, soon after that, April stops talking and Adam is sent off to boarding school. So he got his revenge. February 17, 1917, Rose Red grows jealous of Ellen's relationship with her young daughter, April, and the child vanishes in the kitchen, is never seen again. Um, over 50 people are looking through the house and they take Sukina um, and accuse her of the, being the cause of this disappearance and uh, question her for her murder that they assume is a murder and she loses like fingers and has a black eye and is horribly oh, abused because um, she's a black woman <laughs> in 1917 and a little white girl went missing uh, in March 19... March 9th, 1918, John's drinking buddy, George Meter, dies from an allergic reaction to a bee sting in the solarium. Spoilers, in 1923, John is pushed from the tower by Ellen and Sukina, who make it look like a suicide. Um, that one was not the house. Yeah. <laughs> it's just finally. Uh, January 15th, 1946. I'm going through all these so you can see how murderous this house is. Uh, Rose Red feels threatened by the glamorous movie star and good friend of Ellen, Deanna Petrie, and the woman vanishes in the billiards room during one of Ellen's yearly parties. Does um, this also inspire the, the game Clue? <laughs> I like, it does feel that way. Like she's in the billiards room with yeah, the, um, and she's like a movie star. I d that scene definitely feels like that. Uh, a little like <laughs> Mrs. Peacock. <laughs> Yeah. or Mrs. White, or uh, what have you. Um, the only thing found of Deanna is one of her earrings, and after her disappearance, the parties are called off for good. Um, and January 15th, 1950, Rose Red finally claims its most desired victim. Ellen herself vanishes while in the perspective hallway. There's, like, weird rooms and yeah. uh last seen by a maid who wished her good evening in 1960s there's a team of scientists investigating rose red they conclude that hauntings and screams are caused by water running through old drainage pipes sure head investigator max bernstein goes missing never to be seen again <laughs> so I, it was just the drainage pipes. I don't know. 1972, Liza Albert vanishes after straying from her tour group and is never seen again. The only trace of her is her handbag ripped to bloody shreds. Historical tours of the house are permanently shut down for good. And so it dies. The house can no longer siphon energy and steal wandering women <laughs> and yeah. murder men who probably deserved it. And uh, so they, it becomes what is what Reardon refers to as a dead cell. When yeah. the people show up, our psychics, it gets reactivated. Like just the thought of them coming, it's like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. Let's I'm go. Ready. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm like, Starts eating people before they even arrive. <laughs> it's like we have awakened our ghosts they're walking around and they're gonna murder people so um present day deaths what the deaths that occur uh in this film uh there's kevin bollinger who is this pesky disbelieving reporter who becomes trapped in the solarium where he is pulled off screen by an unseen force he is throughout the film used um to lore or harm other characters he is just like this person who who was there to prove that they're crazy <laughs> essentially Got like the psychics you. and he arrives early and Sukina opens the door and is like we were waiting for you sir 
he's like, what? I didn't know there were people here yet. And he, she's like, right this way. Um, and he's an idiot. So <laughs> he does. Um, there's Pam. The touch now is the first to go. Because she's pretty blonde. You know, uh, she is lured outside into the garden the first evening they're in the house. And again, men die and women go missing. So she's, as far as I know, not dead. She's just taken by the yeah. house. The villainous Dr. Miller and the overbearing Kay Waterman, who's the mother of Emery, uh, end up at the estate and get into an accident. They're both there for different reasons. Miller is looking for Bollinger, who's gone, and Waterman is looking for her son. And they end up like lost and end up dead <laughs> in different ways. Um, this is four hours, okay? Um, <laughs> a long Pam lures Vic, who is the precog, the older man, out to the pond where he believes he finds Pam's dead body. It's not, it's just like a, an illusion, but uh, the panic results in a heart attack and he actually tries to get help, but Emery thinks that he's just a figment of his imagination and so does not help and he dies. Oh no. Um, it's super sad. <laughs> And he's like, and that he did that like three times. There's people who are like, help me. Like he hears his own mom, like, am I right? And he's like, I can't hear you. Emery's the worst. He is the worst character and he survives. I don't know why. Um, Nick and Kathy. Uh, so Nick is, I always forget what he is. He was one of the more boring psychics. Kathy was the writer. Um, mm -hmm. they head down a main hall after being attacked by Mrs. Waterman and the house changes around them. So they end up being lost. And then there's this mysterious shape that's under the carpet and chases them and they flee. And, um, as the, sh the shape is like catching up, Nick puts Kathy into a closet and then he is just taken. Mm -hmm. Um, but Kathy is in there and this is, uh, this was a big scene for me when I was watching it as a young person because Kathy is religious. She's incredibly religious. And I was also incredibly <laughs> religious at the time of watching this. And so while um, the monster is coming and she's hiding in that closet, she is praying and she has a rosary and it doesn't get her. It yeah. like passed over her. And I was like, oh, the power of Christ. <laughs> it's like, it's I'm safe. I can be safe as long as God is with me. And so it, it, that helped me get through a lot of horror movies because I was like, I have Jesus. What yeah, are I'm ghosts when you have Jesus? He's the good ghost. Um, yeah. <laughs> so my ghost is better than your ghost. And uh, so she survives. And I was like, that's cool. The fact that she survived to the end, I was like, wow. Um, Steven, <laughs> Emery, Kathy, Rachel, and Annie. Rachel is Annie's sister. She also goes by sister in the movie. Escape from Rose Red, but Joyce Reardon, the uh, psychology professor, is insane and refuses to leave. Like she has snapped. And mm -hmm. so they get out, and the house is like on fire. It's going crazy. And Joyce uh, is in the house, and she realizes too late that she does actually want to leave, but she's now surrounded by the ghosts of Rose Red. So it's Nick, Pam, Vic, Miss Waterman, Mi Dr. Miller, Bollinger, Sukina, Ellen Rimbauer, and Deanna Petrie. And she screams in terror as the film fades to black. So those are all the deaths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the longest episode so ever. Many. So I just wanted to explain all the deaths. So um, 
just to show you how murderous this house is anyway uh because she's a villain like just leave a ha- like let it be yeah um so uh, i want to exactly i want to quickly go over some of the connections of winchester house and the haunting of hill house with rose red i won't do too much because kat is going to talk about winchester house um but I just wanted to point out some of the similarities a little bit. So like Sarah Winchester, Ellen Rimbauer is compelled to never stop building her house. That's like the biggest thing is that the house is always being built. You don't, you can't rely on this, the maps or whatever of the house, the outline. I don't know what the technical term is, the layout, I guess, uh, schematics of this house because it's always changing. It moves mm-hmm. around. It's unreliable. Um, for Sarah Winchester, it, it's not unreliable. It's just that she kept going. Um, for Sarah, she felt she was being haunted by those who died due to the guns her family made. That's one allegedly. Of the, allegedly, <laughs> is one of the theories um, because she, uh, her family, or Winchesters, they made guns, and yeah. um, she had also been told by a psychic. Uh, Ellen Rimbaugh had been told by a psychic to build her house. And so she, uh, so she created this house as a maze to distract the spirits, allegedly. Ellen, who was also told by a psychic, that she would actually never die if the house was always being worked on. So she could she she gets to live forever as long as the house lives forever. Um, both women, having too much money and time and paranoia as well as lack of therapy, were able to create interesting architectural designs. So Sarah created some accessible features to cater to her arthritis, while Ellen made some interesting funhouse type features, such as an upside down room. <laughs> so not quite as good. Uh, however, we do learn in the film that it was actually Sukina that had designed the perplexing halls. Like she did a lot mm. of the cool rooms, which I was like, that's dope. Um, she needs more screen time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I find the most interesting and eerie part of Rose Red is that the house itself is the villain. Um, it is a perplexing architectural nightmare that feeds off the energies and lives of its inhabitants. And it plays with them, manipulating them and taking them when it pleases, like a cat toying with its prey. And the house is as much a character, unreliable and sinister as anyone else in here. And for all the folly of King <laughs> and all the things I can complain about when it comes to his tropes and problematic things, I will say that King is always talented at writing environments as characters. Um, I can write an entire thesis on how Pennywise isn't the villain of it, but rather the whole town of Derry is. That mm-hmm. is the villain. And that's what he's trying to say, I think. Um, for King, Rose Red is an extension of Ellen. Her illness, her loneliness, her pain made manifest in the walls. And in an attempt to trick and cast out her own negative spirits, Ellen too ends up lost in its walls. Um, It eats her. And there's this line um, in the middle of the film, because it's, again, it's made for TV. So there's these like cut to black dramatic episode fades. And when we come back on episode three or something, Ellen Rimbauer is saying these saying this uh essentially over um the scene like the footage of the house and she says a house is a place of shelter it is the body we put on top of our bodies as our bodies grow old so do our houses as our bodies may sicken so do our houses and what of madness if mad people live within 
Doesn't this madness creep into the rooms and walls and corridors and very boards? Don't we sometimes sense that madness reaching out to us? Isn't that a large part of why we mean what we mean when we say a place is unquiet, festered up with spirits? We say haunted, but what we mean is that the house has gone insane. I was like, dang, Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) Dang, dang, Ellen. Mm -hmm. Um, So Jackson's novel, too, showcases the house as a villain, a mastermind of evil. Um, Horror writer Sarah Lotz has said of the novel, is Eleanor the victim? Is she behind the haunting? Or is it all in her own mind? To me, the best haunted house narratives are never just about the dead. They're about the living and the psychological. In Hill House, the real horror comes from the tragedy that Eleanor thinks she is escaping her stultifying family situation, but can't escape her own mind. Um, And again, this is all just like, (laughs) this is her. She was so hurt. Like Ellen is all kinds of tangled up. The novel opens with a truly haunting passage about the house that is obviously what inspired Ellen to be saying the words that she did. And they say, no live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and catadids are supposed by some to dream. Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against the hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Within, walls continued upright, bricks met neatly, floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there walked alone. Um, considering how Jackson felt about her, how she felt neglected by her husband, um, and she, we did a whole episode on Shirley Jackson and how really honestly sad her life was and how absolutely lonely and just secluded she was and just mm-hmm. misunderstood. Um, you can kind of get into that mind space of where she was when she was writing Hill House. And she actually wrote her husband a letter that ended He once wrote me a letter telling me that I would never be lonely again. I think that was the first, the most dreadful lie you ever told me. So we can see how the loneliness she felt seeped into the pages of her book. And King, too, is skilled at writing loneliness and isolation uh, as much as he is about making environments people. Uh, Just think of the shining. (laughs) However, the level to which Rose Red is alive grows past that of Hill House. And even still, though Sarah had construction continue on the Winchester House until her death, Rose Red never stopped being built. Perhaps the house isn't haunted, but has indeed become insane. Nice. So yeah, that's that's, that's what I had to say about it. Nice. Um, <laughs> which is honestly, there should be. There's so much more to say, and there's just not enough. Like, there's a four-hour movie game. Red. Yeah, it's a four-hour. I know. Movie. I not know. to say about something so long. And I was like, I wanted to talk about the haunting of Hill House because it's also really great. As like, I don't got time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't got time. It's a bunch of long. There's like a whole yes. TV show that's hours. Many. Maybe even mm-hmm. longer than Hill House or uh, Rose Red, in retrospect of like however yeah, long yeah. the show is. Exactly. So. Yeah. Well, I was going to do the book, but even still, it's yeah. like it's tough. I got you. So, but tell me, Kat, about Winchester House. Yeah, I got you. Uh, so the film Rose Red, as Gabe said, was uh, 
based off of the Winchester house, which is a real house that may or may not have actually been haunted um, and is in California currently. It still exists, mm-hmm. still chilling there. People can go see it. You can get married there if you want. Um, <laughs> uh but it, I don't know if it's haunted. So the story goes as follows. Uh, Sarah Winchester, married to William Wirt Winchester in 1862, gets struck down by tragedy when her only child, Annie, died in infancy in 1866. Mm. Um, as the years passed, William became the owner of Winchester Repeating Arms Company, which happened in 1880. But then the next year, he died from tuberculosis. And Sarah, mm. as like in response to his death took the position of like the head of the company but she essentially Mm -hmm. got edged out by her brother-in-law and as a result moved very far away from where they were because they were in like new haven connecticut um Mm -hmm. and she moved west after inheriting a massive fortune so sarah moved to the place where the winchester rifle made the most damage and impact uh with that $20 million inheritance, she bought a house and began seemingly endless construction in a nonsensical and chaotic fashion through some of it. Um, so just some fun facts about the mansion. Uh, the Winchester Mansion stretches across 24,000 square feet with 160 rooms, 10,000 windows, 2,000 doors, 52 skylights, 47 stairways and fireplaces, 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, and six kitchens. Uh, (laughs) Um, And who lives there? Like, just her. (laughs) Like, what? I don't know, man. Uh, But from 1886 to 1922, Sarah commissioned construction almost consistently with no blueprint and seemingly like no... Yeah, no blueprint. Yeah, no blueprint and seemingly no plan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, The original house, as I said, was an eight-room farmhouse that expanded exponentially. First, Sarah built up, creating about seven stories. But following an earthquake in 1906, three stories had collapsed down onto the rest of the house, damaging a lot of it and its structure, uh, and ended up trapping Sarah in the attic of the mansion for a period of time. Oh my god, she wasn't messed up enough. Yeah, so that was traumatic for sure. Um, And they actually discovered the attic recently. Like, it was recently that they discovered the attic where she was trapped, that it was hidden on one of the uh, stairways that go to nowhere. Um, (laughs) So after that, Sarah built out instead of up, uh, as there are a result of... People say it's a trick ghost. I think it's because half the house fell so they Mm -hmm. instead of just building a whole new house now they just put stuff on top of it they like put caps on the stairways because there's the house that the stairs went to no longer exists Mm -hmm. the doors probably went to different sections of the house but now those rooms don't exist because they fell off the house in the earthquake so now (laughs) they just go to the yard you know like you just walk off the roof and you're on the floor now um (laughs) But yeah, so essentially she built out instead of up now. uh, And the result of this is stairs that go to nowhere, chimneys that don't go outside, balconies on the inside, rooms built inside of rooms, and doors with nothing behind them. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's wild. It's it's really wild. Uh, And the house was built at a price tag of $5 million in 1923, or $71 million today. 
Mm. Um, some neat That's features. actually less than I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit less for sure. It's I don't think she could have solved all society's problems, but I do have some opinions about the way she spent her money. Um, <laughs> So there's just some neat features uh, in the house, which I thought were cool um, and like are pretty inventive uh, and probably could be used to help people. So there were cornerless steps uh, in rooms that made dusting unnecessary. Uh, so it was a giant house. You don't want to have to dust it all the time. So she invented this thing where you put little corners in there to block the dust from getting caught. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, they didn't have Roombas. Yes, they did not have <laughs> and she has so many steps. How is the Roomba going to survive all the steps? That's true. Um, so, and also she made tiny steps to accommodate her arthritis, so like steps that were really small and close together, and then only had really like small, like inch or two high steps, so that she could go mm-hmm. up steps easier without having to mm-hmm. like impact her arthritis. She also made a unique kind of shower that would accommodate that and some other features that were just interesting other than like the accessibility features that I just thought were cool. Um, she had a seance room, which is just like, I think that in a way also contributed to the lore of the, but that was also a hit that was in vogue at the time. And she was with much money. So she has to be in vogue, you know, Mm -hmm. she has to be real fashionable. Uh, but another fun thing is that, in the seance room, there's like a whole closet that leads to like a seven foot drop into the kitchen. That was something or something <laughs> like that. They were like, what? Um, and then there's just a bunch of other closets that are secretly and cabinets that are like secretly doors to other rooms. So it's mm-hmm. also pretty neat. Um, so I yeah. found an article on grunge.com titled The Untold Truths of the Winchester Mystery House. And they had some things to say about what the seance room was. And also like the kind of like the mystery behind it and the theories surrounding like what actually happened in there. So the seance room or the blue room uh, only had one entrance, but three exits, including a door that leads to a 10 foot drop. I was wrong. A 10 foot drop into the kitchen and another that opens up into a small sink. Um, According to popular lore, Sarah Winchester retreated to the room every night between midnight and 2 a.m., and no one else was allowed in. What went on in there, no one was sure, but everyone had a story. According to one tale, Winchester went there to commune with spirits and learn what they wanted her workmen to build the next day. Others say she was reaching out to those who had met the grisly end at the barrel of the Winchester rifle, while still others say she spent just time talking to her husband. The research done by Anna Lee knew it suggests something totally different, that perhaps Winchester was really just using those hours to spy on her help with a series (laughs) of hidden windows. Um, There's also a possibility that Winchester believed in spirits and used her time to figure out how to invite the good spirits in and keep the bad ones out. But decades later, no one really knows what went wrong, what went on in that room for two hours every night. Um, so it's still a mystery, but it is interesting. So why did why did Sarah build this house, this giant crazy house? Um, the lore states that's because of the mass loss of life associated with the Winchester rifle and that the Winchester family became cursed because of the intense number of lives lost to them uh the belief of the public in response to these actions of the widowed sarah winchester was that sarah believed the curse is what took her child and her husband and would eventually take her as well after moving west sarah purchased land and property um and built this chaotic 
maze and interest filled with interesting architecture as a way to confuse and escape from the many ghosts that haunted her and to escape from the guilt she felt associated with the loss of life from the Winchester rifle. So why is the Winchester rifle important? Um, it was the first of its kind, I believe. Uh, I don't know a ton about guns, but the Google mm -hmm. told me that the Winchester rifle was an improvised or an improvement upon the Henry rifle as it could shoot multiple shots before having to be reloaded, which was a big deal because before you had to like reload after every shot or mm -hmm. it would just take a really long time to reload in between and it would be dangerous if you were in war or mm -hmm. now you're vulnerable genociding you know to have mm -hmm. the option of someone attacking you so uh these rifles were very useful for the time in expanding west and was considered the gun that won the west um and it's also uh considered like the thing that guaranteed american expansion west as well as the mass murder of indigenous populations in the process um mm -hmm. so uh it, it did a lot of damage uh specifically in the american indian war as well as just like colonization uh hmm. so yeah. it's fitting that rose red was on an indigenous burial ground then yes in that way mm -hmm. yes yes <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's essentially what large, it's theorized that the creation of the Winchester rifle is what started to really continue to spur this obsession with firearms in America, uh, mm. and the development of the, like, want for the increased capacity for, like, automatic weapons, multiple shot weapons, like, there was something that came from this that gave people power, and... Mm -hmm spurred capitalism in a way that allowed for this woman to build a 72 million dollar house um and people liked it they liked the guns mm -hmm. um and as we know we're in 2022 and they still do they still like the guns um do i think this rich lady in her giant mansion cared about or felt guilty for the mass loss of life associated with the rifle that financed her livelihood no <laughs> I think a rich lady that had too much money was bored and didn't care about any loss of life, maybe other than like her immediate family that she probably cared about. Uh, so she blew all her money on this chaos mansion instead of actually helping anybody other than herself. Um, Snap. Yeah. Uh, the more likely reality is that the story surrounding this was that the public felt guilt over the mass loss of life associated with the rifle. But instead of like processing that and demanding change, they distracted themselves and enjoyed the idea that this rich and powerful woman that was associated with these deaths felt remorse, had suffered in mm -hmm. some way. And therefore they no longer had to. Uh, the public felt that blaming the entirety of that loss of life on this one person in doing so, they could absolve themselves from the fact that they used that rifle to murder lots of people. Mm -hmm. Entire. Um, very Christianity community. of them. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm not the only person who thinks this. There's actually an entire article surrounding this idea about the Winchester Mansion and how what it represents is just oh so American. Uh, in an article on Vice.com titled The Scariest Part of the Winchester Mansion Has Nothing to Do with Ghosts, written by Becky Ferreira. Uh, Ferreira, I don't know how to say words. Uh, they explain that with over 72,000, 720,000, 720. yeah, it's a bunch. 
with over yeah. 720,000 rifles produced between 1873 and 1916, the sheer ubiquity of the Winchester rifles had a profound impact on American history. Not only did this family company help to foster the zealous gun culture endemic the United States, but it resulted in an untold number of deaths. Um, the culture surrounding guns is the one that we're very familiar with, as I said, in 2022, with the threat of a shooting ever present every single time you step outside. Uh, weapons it's crazy because talking yeah. about this, I just got a shooting alert at Temple, so. Hmm. Yeah, uh, literally all the time constant. Mm -hmm. um, so weapons have continued to increase their capacity for murder and it started with the Winchester rifle, this desire to create more dangerous guns. Uh, mm -hmm. And the results have been the creation of AR-15s and other automatic weapons that do big damage really fast. Um, yeah. And the legacy of the Winchester rifle lives on and haunts us as an entire country, not just this little house. That's actually quite big, but like comparatively to like the entire mm -hmm. Country, it's a little small. Um, mm -hmm. So the article continues to say that Mary Jo and Golfo, uh, author of the 2010 biography *Captive of the Labyrinth*, specifically referring to the time when uh, Sarah Winchester was trapped in the attic. Mm. Um, they suggest that news outlets scapegoated the wealthy widow to relieve collective American guilt about the proliferation of deadly firearms. Towards the end of the 19th century, the American press began to seriously acknowledge the brutality used against American Indians, and the American conscience began to be bothered by the atrocities. Engolfa points out in the book, Sarah Winchester's reputation suffered scathing attacks of insults and ridicule beginning at the same time. Newspapers pin the burden of guilt on were Winchester-induced deaths on the widow, but there's literally no evidence that Sarah herself felt guilty about the repeating rifle or earning money from it. Um, so the takeaway here is that people need to stop creating the narrative that rich people feel anything. <laughs> Mm -hmm. about how they got their wealth or about anything that people who suffer as a result go through. Um, they're not these like pillars of morality, nor do they use their funds to make lasting and meaningful change. The rich in this country could, including our government, which they proved in the pandemic, they can just give people money whenever they want. Um, mm -hmm. And they just choose not to. Uh, so essentially they could end hunger, homelessness. This woman could have put money towards removing these rifles what is the word piloting for gun control like she could have done mm -hmm. a lot of things with this money if she actually felt guilty and i think that is entirely a societal construct because if she wanted to she could have she mm -hmm. actively chose not to just as now people actively choose to do nothing uh specifically mm -hmm. the ones who actually have the financial means to do so um the article continues that the winchester mansion is not only a crucial part of this history the winchester mansion is not only a crucial part of this history it is a perfect metaphor for the nation's singular obsession with guns sarah winchester's compulsion to randomly build new wings and floors with no master plan mirrors america's half-hearted band-aids on gun policy which have never accounted to a cohesive vision. Like the doors and passageways within the mystery house, attempts to reduce gun violence in the United States often lead nowhere or circle back on themselves. Um, this metaphor, honestly, could be applied to literally every facet of Americans' op oppressive systems um, mm -hmm. in that the people who are making these decisions, who have the money, 
are not building systems that help anyone. It's if anything, it's also like an analogy for the American dream. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just very funny. I remember they're all were, just ten foot drops into the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. Like, or they just like lead, you think you're going to the bathroom, and now you've fallen off the roof. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's American honestly dream. very it's the American <laughs> dream. Like if you really think about it, okay, there's all these things. I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it's like okay, like she said, yeah. think about it. I'm like okay, okay. So there's all these systems that like make you think that like that's the way out of poverty yeah. or these bad yeah. situations, etc. The American dream, work hard, whatever. There's all these systems in place that you just have to jump through these hoops and loopholes to get the thing play the lottery do this do that get go to college pay off those loans if you can you can't yeah <laughs> all these yeah. other things like these things that are suggested as ways that you gain success wealth etc are not actually ways to do so there are doorways that lead to a 10 foot drop into the kitchen to right off the roof like okay, stairways that go sink. to nowhere yeah you go through the stairwell you've been walking up like five stories and you're finally at the top and you're like I've worked so hard to get here and then you look up and there's just nothing there's just roof there's just roof there's Mm -hmm. nowhere to go from here um so I was like I was talking to you Gabe when I was watching the documentary about it and it was like this guy was like this house is a perfect representation of America and all of its possibilities and I'm like sir you have just missed the entire point yeah (laughs) This house yeah. is about the lack of pot. Like, imagine if this woman, not that it's her in alone responsibility to solve all the world's problems, but like, imagine if she just tried, like a little, yeah, a little even a little try. Uh, the things she could have done. Just a banquet in her magical house that you know house does homeless people. <laughs> yeah why do you have six kitchens why do you need six kitchens use those kitchens to feed people i don't know it's just really wild that's insane um it's like the strikes where you're like they just want to see their families and they're like we need to get them to stop striking then give them what they want (laughs) let them see see their their families families, guys like what why is why uh ultimately the the house is a perfect metaphor for america if you ever were looking for one so Ultimately, do I think she felt guilty? No. Do I think this house is haunted? No. <laughs> um, it just sounds like a lot of people are getting really excited over rich people and assuming that they're these pillars of doing things for a good reason. Well, she did it for no reasons because she was bored. She wanted to spend the money because she didn't want her brother-in-law to get it because he stole mm-hmm. her company and she wanted to be petty. Yeah, and <laughs> That's she's lonely. all it was. She, she made this cool do. house. Nice. But like, she could she have, have done... any other hobby? Or yeah. like, get rid of it now. <laughs> Why are we just keeping yeah. this house? She's dead. Give the house away. Yeah. Or like, yeah. Don't have it be just like a a tour place. Can we make the like? Yeah. Can we house people? <laughs> can people live yeah. here? And or just knock it down and start fresh. Why why we need this house? We don't. There's tons of cool stuff in there. Take the stuff out, put it in a museum, I guess. I don't know. If you like it that much, do something with it. Put all that stained glass in other houses. Why do they need yes. to sit like propelled in this giant house that no one lives in? It's stupid. That's how I feel. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And yeah, it's not and haunted. No one's died there except for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I will say in in Riz Red, uh, Steve, who is um, the only living relative of the Rimbauers and like inheriting this house, after the psychic time, mm-hmm. he had planned to demolish Rose Red. Heck He's yeah, flatten it. And <laughs> Doctor, <laughs> the the psychology professor, Doctor Reardon, is like what do you have against this house? And he's like, it eats my relatives. <laughs> it's like, did you forget that? Like, no, it kills the house. That's fine. <laughs> Everyone is dead. It's done nothing good. Like, it does zero gi- good. Exactly. Like, stop giving this blood money house your money. Don't get married there. <laughs> like, go do something else. Knock it down. Burn it down. I don't know. Do something. I didn't yeah. say that for the record. I didn't say that. But also... <laughs> also uh just like do something with it do something with it or stop like waiting for the rich people to fix everything they're not they're not they could already they could have done it this whole time and they're just like "Eh." i'm gonna make a penis rocket yeah i need to go to space for some reason like stop thinking that they know what they're doing they do it for a reason they don't they're just bored and we Mm -hmm. don't do it we don't murder them so they're bored total aside um <laughs> just like cool old-timey architecture things yeah. is when you're talking about her spying on her help through the the mirror the windows that are hidden um i went on a bus tour throughout philadelphia and in old city on the third floors you can see outside the window there's these like mirror contraptions and it's because if you were up at the top floor and someone like rang your bell or knocked on your door you can just peek out and look at the mirror and it would reflect what was happening on the ground floor so if you knew it was worth your time to go all the way downstairs that's hilarious <laughs> so it was like the first ring you know yeah <laughs> first like door video system so yeah. funny where someone's just like oh it's just the mailman or yeah. oh it's just that pesky that's neighbor so i'm not gonna come down that's so that was just funny. a fun like old-timey architecture thing i was like that's interesting yeah. um and like innovative to murder just hold him accountable i just wanted to i don't want to leave on murder i don't want to end on murder yeah hold him accountable sue him tell them they're not allowed to have this money take their money you're not allowed to have this money um you cannot profit off the death of entire communities and and also you just had too much why you need that much for why you don't like clearly <laughs> you're not doing anything with it you're making yeah fake doors <laughs> fake <laughs> you're doors making un- nowhere. you're making incomplete chimneys like that just seems toxic i don't know what you're yeah <laughs> i don't know what you're doing um rose red had some cool things where there was like an upside down room or and like places where it was like there was a door but it wasn't really a door and like the wall was actually the door so mm-hmm. i'm sure that was influenced by that um yeah and that stuff was cool, like, and they had this whole thing. But I was just like, but what is this? How like this? At least it makes sense that no one's in this house because it's eating people. But like, yeah. <laughs> Winchester House isn't eating anyone. Yeah, it's you doing just nothing. Get it's a just lost. There. You can pay them to get married. You trap there. one woman in there, and she deserved it. <laughs> so exactly. you trap one lady. Exactly. Um, <laughs> So uh, that is our kickoff for our haunted series. We're going to be doing all kinds of haunted things. We're going to go underwater, Cat's favorite place, uh, next week. Love it. Um, we're going to be talking about sunken cities and haunted houses under the water. <laughs> and honestly, it's pretty sad. Um, but we're, it's going to be cool. Yeah. We're going to talk about the deep house. So we're going to be going around, maybe leaving our house to do things in October 
so that we can share <laughs> about some say, haunted places. If you I see mean, me, no, you didn't. But yeah, I'm going to be outside for a little bit. So that's going to be exciting. Yeah. Also, like Pennsylvania is just haunted. It is just yeah. full, like where it's old, right? Like mm-hmm. Pennsylvania here, it was the first, right? Philadelphia <laughs> is, is a founding city. So there's a lot of stuff here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of first. All the first murders public. Here. Oh, yeah, first public hospital happened here. First fire, a volunteer fire department happened here. First uh, military, uh, the uh, the Marines happened here. Like, like, <laughs> for so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for for America. So uh, there's a lot of history, and uh, I am excited to to learn a bit more of it. Please share with us your favorite haunted houses. Oh, if you watch the Rose Red, tell me about it. I'm sure you're like those effects were really cheesy and i'm like i don't care (laughs) i love seeing the skeletal woman she's like what are you doing emory and she's like smoking like i can't um it's so bad and i love it so much uh and the songs get stuck in my head it's beautiful and uh yeah so stay tuned for some really fun and goofy haunted things as we continue this journey throughout october yeah and don't get married Delete your kids. Kids. Yeah. Or they'll get lost in your house. That's yeah. huge and unnecessary. The house will eat them. Honestly, you all deserve it. If you have a house that's big enough to get eaten in. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, yeah. You have regular stuff. This is my whole argument. <laughs> Why we need a giant house, we don't. That's the answer. <laughs> you don't, actually. Sarah, what are you doing? You need just um, a house for you and the people you like. Well, and you stop. She can watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you give like, houses to other people. And you're like, wow, look at that. Everyone has a house instead of being homeless. So yeah, especially if you're going to be in California. You're going to be in California and you're not going to have, you have this big house with the houseless population that they have. You're not going to put the people in the house. They of mean they not. deserve it. They don't care. They just, honestly, they deserve a better house, first yeah, of all. They deserve a house Second of all, a practical one. <laughs> yeah, they need a house that's for real. Um, that all the things do what it's supposed to do. But they deserve a house, period. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. 